but it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat in the house. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> When's the last time you actually got fed, like, anything resembling a meal on an airliner flight? Uh, last time I was on Emirates. Oh, yeah, well, Emirates, okay. See, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say 1987. Right, David. Right, See, I'm right. with you. Je- we don't right. fly these fancy uh, 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 rich people airlines like Jeb does. Uh, but when you fly Emirates, Jeb, you don't fly first class, do you? Oh, oh hell no. And so they feed meals in they have, coach. They have... Um, What's because the flight lasts 47 hours, Well, right? exactly, exactly. So you got to have all these meals... But they feed you like three times um, with with uh, pretty decent food. Okay. Uh, and drinks are free, so, you know. Um, and it's not alcoholic drinks, right? Alcoholic drinks are free. Emirates gives you not only alcohol, every, but alcohol every, free, for every, free? Just about every international carrier um, serves alcohol free uh, just because, for, I, for lack of maybe a better reason, is the, the exchange rate issues. Uh, uh, the currency exchange issues, but all the international flights I've been on in the last several years, <laughs> liquor, beer, wine is always free. In co- in coach. In coach. In coach. Well, I don't know. See, I, but I don't want to fly any further. So uh, you know, any greater distances than I do. So uh, I don't. I don't I'm, I'm not saying yeah, you should, but um, well, that relegates you to. The- Peanuts and Pretzel Brigade. Yeah, and that's where I usually live, too. And uh, um, this is all prompted by the fact that, Jeb, you, you noticed that um, that someone has published a cookbook based yeah. on United Airlines' food. Yeah. Which, <laughs> there's so many things wrong with this idea, all right? You know? There's so many things wrong with this idea. Um, I, uh, I don't know where to start either. Now, you know, I, I, I am old enough to remember when even... Uh, U.S. domestic coach uh, served decent meal. I, was, I won't say decent meals, but served an yes. attempt at a decent meal. Me too. Chicken or fish, right? You know? Right, and, right, uh, right. And the, and, the, and the chicken would always run out or something like that, you know, right. if you were at the back of the plane. Exactly, uh, exactly. Um, but, and it was never, I mean, it was, it was, some people hated it. I remember when they used to do it, everyone complained about how awful it was. Um, and it, it certainly wasn't great, but I've always found it edible and tolerable. And my biggest problem when it, with it when you, it used to exist was that the quantities were so tiny. Um, I mean, it was like a small TV dinner kind of thing. Right, um, right. And, uh, but, uh, but, but so, you, I, you, so they're calling it the UAL cookbook. Is it actually, I should probably just open the link. Wouldn't that be something? That Let's would see what the it. link has to say. Uh, this is remember. United Airlines. Well, it's in the United Airlines online store. So it would seem that it has some connection, right? Yeah, I guess. Is it actually here? Because I'm, the page I opened didn't actually well, show Polaris is, is uh, United's upscale um, subscription thing. Uh-huh. Well, let's see if we can find the cookbook here. Where is it? It's uh, a collection of mouth-watering recipes inspired by the United Polaris onboard dining experience. <laughs> With over 40 recipes from United's executive chefs and the chefs from the Trotter Project. Now, putting Trotter, <laughs> wait, wait, Trotter, wait, wait, putting Trotter, Trotter. In, a, in a description of a cookbook I, does I, not inspire confidence. I, did, I didn't see that. 
Um, I, where, uh, I'm not seeing. Where are you reading this from, David? Help me. The description that goes with the cookbook. Yeah, but I'm not finding the cookbook. Keep keep talking, David. The what link, else does the, it say? Open the link that, I, that's okay. in the. Open I the did, link. but I'll open it again. Maybe I've you, d- drifted away. You are sure to fall in love with the ingredients, techniques, and flavors <laughs> oh, of these culinary creations. So. I'm not sure about falling in love with techniques unless it's sex. The Trotter Project. And we're, and we're not going there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Trotter Project. Naming something the Trotter Project when you're talking about food on board an airliner does not evoke the kind of imagery well, that I want to take to lunch with me. Yeah. What what the heck is the Trotter Project? I, I just had to Google it. There's a, me too. There's, yeah. a, there's a .org for the Trotter Project. Yeah, um, it looks like it's some executive chef's. Yeah. The Trotter Project is Chef Charlie Trotter's philosophical legacy, uh, a, phil- a philosophy which embodies the idea that excellence and purpose are best achieved through service to others. Well, that sounds nice, but... We're still talking about airline food here. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's that's true. Now, um, you know, if you pay attention to those things or or even care, you know, high-scale food is a thing in in first class and in some business class operations. And Uh, in domestic travel, that's what we're talking about, first class. Yeah, yeah. In, In international travel, it's even a bigger thing. Yeah, I'll tell you, in, in my in, ever since I started traveling so much for my day job, which is now going on 11, 12 years, um, it, I, I've managed to get into first class maybe twice in that time, um, never intentionally, always some sort of accidental upgrade. Um, and holy moly, they treat you better in first class. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, come on. You that's, know. Be, that's because you give them more money. Yeah. Well, not me. And not even my company. I, I, I know I got, upgrade, I got upgraded to first class one time because um, my connecting flight, my, so I was two-flight day, you know, it was a connecting flight wherever. And my first flight was late, and, and, and I was going to miss the second flight. And they, they knew I was coming, obviously. And so I got out of my first flight and made, you know, a, a sprint to the second flight. And I really arrived at the door. They, I'm sure they were getting ready. To, but the interesting thing was that the gate agent was standing there at the counter holding a piece of paper in her hand and I'm kind of running up to the thing and she says Hodgson and I say yes and she says okay good here and she gave me a new boarding pass and I figured it was just because they moved me around the airplane well she gave me a boarding pass for a first class seat instead of my coach so, seat so they had moved you around on the airplane yeah well obviously they wanted to, they wanted the coach seat more than they wanted the uh, because they gave that away early and they gave me the first class seat and like I said holy moly no sooner do you sit down and I arrived late and they still you know I, I walked in and hardly before I'm settled they're saying would you like something to drink sir you know would you it's like yeah (laughs) yeah yeah but so let's let's curve this let's 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 veer this around to general aviation here okay Uh, because i'm just kind of curious do you feed people on your when you fly well let's not even talk about feeding people jeb when you fly to oshkosh Uh a long flight even Uh when you split it in two it's still two long flights yeah do you eat in the airplane what do you do? Sometimes I, I do. Um, typically, I will eat on the ground, and I'll carry water. Yeah. Uh, either way, I'll carry water. But um, I, I, I have eaten in the airplane before. The, the thing that I don't do is leave food in the airplane. Okay. Uh, I, you know, like, like, say, granola bars in a, in a 
in a package or something like that. Right. Uh, uh, you know, uh, the, you know, beyond there lies dragons. Uh, you, you just you don't want to do that with an airplane. You can get all kinds of, of critters and stuff, and right, okay, and, right. and, and the food stuff can can deteriorate and, and escape its packaging. There's all kinds of, of mm-hmm. issues. So mm-hmm. that, that's one of the things. You know, I, I don't leave f- knowingly anyway. Leave food in the airplane. Um, sometimes I'll take something along as a snack. Mm-hmm. Um, could be a bag of potato chips. It could be you know, whatever. Um, I, I had distinctly remember getting like a foot long, uh, subway sub before one flight once and, and had a soda or a bottle of water or something like that and got to cruising altitude, set up the autopilot and started shooting, chowing down on a, on a mm-hmm. subway. So that was, that was uh, a tasty way to, to, to get some food. Yeah. Um, if you didn't have time to eat on the ground, which is my preference is to eat on the ground. Right. David, how about you? Do you eat in the airplane? Uh, occasionally, uh, depends on the day, the leg, the destination, uh, when I'm getting off the ground. Uh, I found the most challenging thing about eating in the airplane is finding a place to put the server when I don't need her. <laughs> okay. Her, him, come on. It's a brave new world. Um, so, uh, okay. Uh, and you guys are, I mean, I'm, I'm asking you guys these questions because you guys are the long-distance flyers. When I fly, it's almost always short. I, I fly for the purpose of eating at the destination. Sure, there, there's that also, uh, yeah. You know, so. Uh, my usual, my usual for, if I'm flying from Wichita back to the East Coast like we did so many times, uh, half a peanut butter sandwich, a uh, couple of bottles of water, uh a protein bar, uh, that that that'll get me through that day. Uh, but then I'm going to be ravenous when I get on the ground, and, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and usually I already have something picked out, lined up, and and set to go from the airport when they pick me up to the restaurant. So, right. Yeah. Uh, now, yeah, the subject of uh, now the subject of eating uh, food on the airplane will come up probably later in this episode or episodes. Um, But let me ask you about water. Um, So water now, uh, having water on board is not simply a, 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 you know, luxury, right? I mean, it can be a safety thing. Right. Um, And so do, how how do you, do you do anything in particular to stay hydrated? I guess is my question. Um, And, and here, let me give you some context before you answer the question. I was watching a YouTube video uh, recently of somebody who was documenting a a longish flight that they went on, like a three or four hour flight that they, they went in their airplane. And, and it was an interesting video uh, and it contained a lot of information about a lot of things. But um, one thing I caught my attention was that when the person arrived sort of in range and I'm making little finger quotes, you know, it's like, you know, 45 or 60 minutes out from destination, the person, you know, was chatting with other people on board and he said, okay, I've reached, and he had a name for it. I forget what it was now, but he basically, this was the window within which he allowed himself to drink so that he wouldn't necessarily have to use the bathroom in flight. You see what I'm getting at here? Yeah. He was reluctant to drink water during the early portions of the flight. He had this sort of window that he considered now I can drink some water. Um, do you do that? Does that even? I'm not even sure that's wise. But. I don't think it's wise either. But first of all, it sounds like a uh, a self-imposed condition mm-hmm. uh, for reasons 
that only that individual could know. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, fine. But I don't understand that being um, uh, <laughs> certainly not a, an operational um, uh, decision I would make. Yeah. Uh, if you're thirsty, drink water. And and uh, sometimes the problem with hydration is it's hard to tell when you need to, to hydrate. The the thing, well, yeah. yeah, the thing in being being in an airplane is you typically will hydrate. I'm sorry, dehydrate yourself at a greater rate. Exactly, exactly. My rule for hydrating in the airplane. Well, basically, you can't do to hydrate too much. You know, I mean, short of well, short of of short of you know. Having a bursting bladder, trying to shoot uh, an ILS to minimums on well, a dark yeah, and stormy night—that's you know, you know, that's something to avoid. Yeah. And then, as far as knowing when you're dehydrated, uh, I've always so that's you know, one of the things my early instructors taught me uh, about about flying the landing, flying the the, the approach and landing. Um, he said he said if you're in the pattern and and you th- if you're thinking about whether you need more flaps then you need more flaps, right? It's like that's how you know you've, you know, you've reached that point. And I think the same thing applies to, to hydration. I think if, you, if you're even thinking about whether you're dehydrated, then you probably are. That's, that's a good way to think about it. It's right. certainly not the only way, but yeah. The other, the other rule of thumb I always heard was that um, you've you got to be way proactive because um, if you feel thirsty, then you're, you're already, already way, yeah, yeah. You're already way dehydrated. All right, yeah. um, and uh, so, yeah. So, yeah. Drinking water is. is I w- I wouldn't put it off like this particular um, YouTube pilot did. Um, well, and, you know, it's, it's there's drinking water and then there's sipping, and my general habit was to crack open the water bottle, uh, get about a half a mouthful, and let it saturate the teeth and gums and tongue and all that before I swallow it and put the water away. David. And then repeat every half hour or so. David. Mm-hmm. Uh, David. That way I'm not overdoing it. That way I'm not going through water like it's going out of style and having to sweat the uh, resulting impulses. Yeah, right. Yeah, Jeb, what? I was going to say, David, that's the same way you drink scotch. <laughs> it is. Actually, they transpose, they, they transpose quite well. <laughs> All right. Well, here's what, so, so here's what we're going to do. Um, uh, I'm expecting that, it, well, obviously for some point we'll be together, the three of us, in April for Sun and Fun. Um, and we might even have some of that time at, um, at the uh, Hidden River Home. Yes. So yes. Uh, I'm thinking we get a copy of this UAL cookbook and do some cooking while we're together here, huh? Get have us some have us some good old down home airline food. You know, I don't, I don't want to go into gruesome detail, <laughs> but the culinary decisions the two of you make when you're in Sarasota <laughs> ha- have not um, engendered faith. All right, that's a fair point. Welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. I'm Jack Hodgson coming to you from uh, from uh, high on the banks. I don't know. I still haven't come up with a thing to say about this. From uh, from the banks of the uh, Cochico River in Dover, New Hampshire, where we got a, uh, a, a pretty good snowstorm over the last 12 hours, but not as bad as the forecasts have, uh, have predicted. So uh, knock on wood, but uh, but uh, and it is cold because it's, almost 11 o'clock in the morning and it's still only 12 degrees here but uh, 
What's that in Fahrenheit? Yeah, exactly. Um, so, uh, anyways, and I'm here in uh, in our virtual hangar, nice and warm and toasty, talking to my two good friends. Uh, that first voice there from uh, not at all snowy or 12 degrees, uh, somewhere near Sarasota, Florida, is Jeb Burnside. Good morning, Jeb. Good morning, uh, Jack. How are you? How's uh, the, uh, other than other than uh, maybe a little uh, um, little chilly? Yeah. Let's just let's just get it out on the table right now yeah. what's the temperature there in florida oh i have no idea it's uh 60 See? early early 60s low 60s yeah, okay All um right. but it's it's I, changing we we're having a cold front move through it rained a lot overnight um stormy weather Although I, although and, it doesn't look uh, like I'm going to have a chance to see you, I am headed for Orlando in a few days. So yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. you can be. I'm perfectly happy with it being warm. Well, down there. Orlando's a whole other climate. Well, yes, but it's it's also a whole other climate from here, and that's the operational <laughs> difference. Okay. Yeah, 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 everything's relative. I yeah. understand. I understand. Yeah. So uh, I was looking at it today. It's like getting into the high 60s and 70s every day in Orlando, and the lows in the 40s and 50s. Um, and uh, uh, then I go to San Antonio, where, interestingly, in San Antonio, the daily highs are more or less the same, but the nightly lows in San Antonio are much cooler, 10 to even 15 degrees cooler um, in San Antonio. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, Out there on the prairie. Yeah, that's what I figured. It's a dry environment. Um, it, because it's drier, the heat doesn't get held overnight, is um, what I always found when I lived in the, in the arid San Francisco Bay Area. So, yeah. Anyways, uh, and that's my other good friend uh, here in our virtual hangar is from the air capital of the world, Wichita, Kansas. That's Dave Higdon. Hi, David. What's going on with you? Oh, just kicking back today after a particularly busy week of cranking out material for people and enjoying the uh, two inches of snow that we got and the sub-freezing temperatures. And uh, it's nice. Running out in an errand in an all-wheel drive vehicle and having almost no other traffic on the streets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We got freezing rain and snow, and and uh, Friday night and Saturday morning were a little bit on the oogly side for some drivers. Uh, yeah. And and the rest of us know to go slow and put the brakes on earlier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It. Yeah. It's. Uh... Well, then I mean, it turn, turns into a James Taylor song, Slip Sliding Away. Okay. I was going to say. Is uh, that James Taylor or Paul Simon? Oh, you're right. Paul Simon. Uh, Paul Simon. Because James Taylor would be uh, uh, Country Road, Take Me Home. No, that's right. John no, Denver. That's, that's John Denver. That's John Denver. <laughs> I lost my head. Sorry. Um, so, uh, okay. Did you all get that? That was... Yeah, never mind. Um, what's, what's next here? Uh, in no particular order, we've got a bunch of follow-ups here. Let's see if we can jump through these here. Uh, a couple episodes ago, and it was last episode of the episode before, we talked about that um, Aeromexico 737 that hit something on um, approach to, uh, to uh, I forget what the airport was, something in, uh, like, like uh, uh, in Mexico. Um, most everybody thinks it was a drone. Um, just an interesting little trivia tidbit here that's come out since then. There's a story, uh, uh, a blog post from something called Bayou Re- Renaissance Man. Um, and do they quote? Wait, wait, wait. Bay- yeah. Bayou Renaissance Man? Yeah, okay. 
fancy way of saying it. No, that'd be New Orleans, man. Not, that'd be a Louisiana man, not a Florida man. Um, anyways, uh, what he is observing, and I'll, I'm going to kind of take it with you know some sort of grain of salt that it's true or with some faith that it's true. Um, they looked at the flight track of this Aeromexico flight, and apparently it didn't do what you would consider a sort of straight shot into uh, to its destination airport. Um, it actually got vectored up along the Mexico-U.S. border for a while um, through an area that is notorious, apparently, according to this blog post anyways, for um, drug runners with drones, flying drones across the border. Um, and also possibly uh, Border Patrol flying drones around. Oh, yeah. Um, and so uh, it kind of like, you know, the uh, the plot thickens, I guess, is my point here. Um, and uh, I just, you know, just an interesting little thing here. Um, I, I, I don't I haven't heard news that they've actually determined what hit this thing yet. Right. I, I've not read any confirmation of it. It's uh, it on both of these that that they talk about. It's always been suspected to be a drone, right? Because right. they didn't find any feathers. Well, they didn't find any feathers, and and they're not reporting that they found any pieces parts of a drone. Um, and, and you know, and that's the part. I, I just have to wonder. I don't know. You know, conspiracy theorist in me says they're not telling us everything. Um, I, this, I haven't seen this picture. The picture that's part of this Bayou Renaissance man um, posting is an angle of the nose cone of this 737 that I hadn't seen before. And it's hard to imagine that something hit this nose and did this much damage and none of the debris stayed with the airplane. That's the part that just kind of amazes me. There's a recent, recent being in the last year or so, video i believe it was done by embry riddle no um maybe it was done by embry riddle but they basically fired a uh, a common consumer grade uh drone at a uh, mooney wing and yeah, a leading edge right mooney's leading edge mooney wing leading edge and they filmed it in ultra uh, yeah. fast uh, yeah. speeds, so they could slow it down. And I looked at it. I've taken. I've used some stills from it. Um, the this consumer grade drone just gets annihilated. Okay, mm-hmm. um, the um, hole punched in the Mooney wing is not unlike this hole yes. uh, shown in the, in the front of this Boeing. Mm-hmm. Um, so certainly it appears that something firm, hard struck this, mm-hmm. and it doesn't appear that it was you know a bird because there's organic. no yeah. it doesn't right. it doesn't appear to be organic because there's no blood there's no re- re- remains. I'm sure there are where there are or were some pieces of it, whatever hit it that remained behind. Why we don't know what those pieces represent is something else. Yeah. So, anyway, but it, it right, does well, sound—it does sound like to me they got too low uh, on approach and, and hit a border patrol drone. Yeah, you know. or or a drug drug mule drone, but yeah, something like that. Um, I, I mean, if they hit a CPP CP CBP drone, um, that that makes the mystery really even more juicy because 
the, the Border Patrol people should have come forward if they lost a drone, all right? That's uh, what they want you to think. Well, and that's where I'm now, I'm getting back, coming back around now to my they're not telling us everything question, you know. Um, so, anyways, all right. Well, if we hear anything more, we'll talk more about this, but that's, that's all I got. I just wanted to point out that somebody looked at the flight track, and, and it kind of went over a, you know, a, 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 a an area that you can kind of, let your imagination run wild. Right? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. New subject. Uh, another follow-up here. Uh, last episode, I I called attention to a project that I think is very very cool. Um, it's a project that's being done by the Airplane Geeks podcast, where they have created an online database of uh, airport restaurants. Um, and uh, I thought it was a good project, and I, it is a good project. And uh, just a quick follow-up is that I heard from uh, from uh, um, Max Flight of uh, of the airplane geeks podcast and uh and he uh, thanked us for uh, mentioning the project and and uh and told me a little bit about it um said they have in fact gotten a, apparently it's not as long running a project as i as i thought um it's relatively new um but they say they're getting a lot of of, uh, of interest and in people posting things it's all moderated you can't just post and have it appear if you post and then somebody's got to review it and approve it so it's going to contain better than average information um and uh, but he said that uh, they're getting a lot of signups. He said they've even seen a few now where someone mentioned uncontrolled airspace in the comments. So that's kind of cool. Cool. Uh, and uh, and he mostly wanted to call attention to the fact that the link that we gave in our show notes last time, which was basically a, a sub page on the Airplane Geeks website, works. But if, if you want easier access, there's a, a dedicated domain. So you could go eat at the airport. Sort of all run together as one word. Eat at the airport.com um and it'll actually i believe last time i checked it gets redirected to the airplane geeks thing but easier access eat at the airport if you're either looking for an airport restaurant that you can visit or if you want to uh uh record the existence of one that you know of and or like um so uh cool project cool project yeah i noticed since the since our last discussion on this one they've added Ponca City, Oklahoma. They've added Stearman Field in Benton, Kansas, and the uh, steakhouse on the airport at Hutchinson, Kansas. So, yeah. uh, I wonder last who time to- we looked at it, they, there was none of those. So I wonder great. who told them about all those. I know, huh? <laughs> and I believe a couple of Florida ones popped up too, that because yeah. uh, there were there were basically zero Florida ones when we talked last time. So, uh, um, anyways, cool project. Eat at the airport dot com. Okay, I, I'd have yeah. done that this morning, but I had a podcast to do. Yeah, I know. Huh? Uh, another follow-up here. Uh, I I asked recently about the uh, current the the kind of status of the old style one twenty one point five um, emergency locator uh, transmitter beacon devices, um, and whether they were still allowed, and 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 you know. And we talked a little about that, and I won't rehash that, but I just did come across a story recently that reported, um, I believe it's an AOPA link here. Let me open it up here. AOP, AOPA reporting that that um, that the sale of new 121.5 ELTs is about to be prohibited. Um, that uh, Not just the sale, but the certification, manufacture, importation. Right. For sale of one twenty one point five, and it's a bad yeah, bloody time. Yeah, it, it's been hard to get a one twenty five only ELT for some time now. Uh, the market has gotten to the point where um, 
they just the, the price um, feature benefit ratios just aren't uh, in their favor. Um, and boom, you know, yeah. E- even if you can find one, uh, you shouldn't be you shouldn't be installing it. You should definitely get a four hundred six, uh, preferably with GPS on it. Right, because they're G- better. They're, they're just they're, they're just better. Okay, yeah. they're just better. So we're talking about saving your life here. Well, right? you're talking yeah. about finding you, and yeah, exactly. Um, we're talking about a lot of things. We're talking about false alarms. We're talking about um, just general uh, the way the world works these days. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's funny that um, it took basically the the evaporation of the one twenty one five only market for. Um, this step to be taken but um it is what it is Mm -hmm. yeah so um there's that yeah yeah uh don't bemoan the 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 death of 124.5 only uh elts it's uh yeah it's uh, a good thing it's It's a right it's a good thing it's the right yeah it's a good thing to do Another follow-up here. Uh, we were talking in a recent episode about helicopter pilot and command seating and um, whether the flying pilot typically sits in the right or left of a helicopter. Um, and, and I'm not a helicopter pilot, so what do I know? But I speculated. I, my, my perception is that for the most part, helicopter pilots flying sit in the right seat, fly you know, from the right seat. And we were speculating as to why that might be. Um, and uh, a longtime listener, um, Jarhead Pilot, um, which I've always assumed is a reference to him having been a Marine at some point, um, and uh, uh, checked in on the forums. Um, and he says, let's see now, uh, he says, Merry Christmas and Merry Christmas back to you. Um, it, um, Terry is his first name. Terry. Um, Terry, uh, uh, Merry Christmas to you. Uh, Jack, you suggested several compelling reasons as to why this is so. Uh, that is to say, flying from the right seat. However, none of your thoughts are correct. <laughs> <laughs> well, big surprise there. Um, at least as I understand things, he writes. Um, I went through Navy helicopter, tra- helicopter training over 35 years ago and flew Hueys on active duty and in the Marine Corps reserves for almost nine years. I had always been told, he writes, that in the early days of helicopters, when weight was especially especially critical due to underpowered engines, pilots usually flew alone without another pilot or crew chief. For example, you may see, recall seeing helicopters flying into the landing pad on the TV show MASH. All right, during the Korean War, carrying wounded soldiers, they always flew with just a pilot. He continues, the earliest tail rotors were the earliest tail rotors. Now, this is the key point. The earliest tail rotors were on the right side of the tail boom. So in order for a pilot to be able to clear his tail from trees and terrain as he flew into a landing zone, he had to be able to look out the right door or the right side of the helicopter and see it. All right. And so it it made sense for visibility reasons um, for the pilot to be on the right flying helicopter so um, interest that's fascinating yeah so he says that's why the helicopter aircraft commander or hack hac traditionally sits in the right seat so there we go and i'm gonna buy that as much more authoritative than anything we came up with in the past um so uh you know there you go cool thanks terry 
yeah, that's very cool. So, uh, um, and I heard, so I heard from Turbo again. Turbo, Turbo's our helicopter friend, um, listener. Yeah. Helicopter and RV. Um, but, Turbo uh, Ed. Turbo Ed. And uh, Turbo Ed was, so we had, we, Turbo had called me a while back. I talked about that on the podcast. Then people called him. He apparently, you know, as many people are, and there's no no fault, no blame here. He listens to episodes a little bit after the fact. And so he hadn't yet listened to the episode where we talked about my talking to him. And But he got phone calls, apparently. <laughs> he said, they talked about you on uncontrolled airspace. And so he went ahead and, and went out of his way to listen to it. And he said, thanks for, for the, the shout out. Um, and uh, and I and then I asked him back. We were texting. We didn't actually talk. Um, and I texted back, back asking him to weigh in on the right seat and why helicopter pilot thing. And I haven't heard back from him. Oh, yet. Okay. So, okay. anyways, all right. Oh, we're making great progress through these uh, through these sh- through these follow ups. This is great. Um, also in the forums, a few people have been uh, been uh, inspired by our our. Uh, uh, the subject of what we called Skyhawk range. Um, that is a, a standardized unit of measure in aviation uh, based on how far your basic Skyhawk can travel um, on a tank of gas. And uh, they have um, um, renamed it, and they're now calling it a Skyhawk unit. Um, I'm sure that's, you know, in an in, in homage to the aviation maintenance unit. Yeah, or, or a, a solar unit or, yeah. 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 Well, no, I like AMU unit better. Anyway. Um, so they're talking about this over in uh, in the uh, in the forums. And I was trying to think. There was a Keith. So uh, see, we're they so- are settling on three hundred and eighty-five nautical miles, or three and a half mile hours, rather. Uh-huh. Uh, I saw think- that. I thought that's 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 about right. I yeah, think yeah. I think um, the hundred and ten knots is an opt is a bit optimistic. Hmm. Um, but 385 nautical is about the uh, the real world range limit of a of a basic Skyhawk. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Now, DJ, uh, listener DJ Torrente in uh, or Torrent, I apologize. Um, in in the same forums thread, um, defended my claim that I could in fact fly a Skyhawk from up here in New Hampshire um, to Pennsylvania, um, and. He said I would do it in order to. He says. Uh, he says. And Jack, I don't remember exactly which airport you and Jeb mentioned in the podcast, but you're, but you're surprisingly, to me at least, he writes, well within one Skyhawk of several Lehigh Valley airports with good on-field eateries. Well, there you go. Well, and that's a good thing. Now, keeping in mind though, the original point was not about airport restaurants, but was about getting to a a, a, a Waffle House. Um, and uh haven't completed that i was research. wondering i was wondering what it was we were trying to get you to yeah it was getting me to a waffle house I and i haven't completed that. that research yet um whether I, whether whether there's a waffle house within one skyhawk of of me here but uh but i can get to pennsylvania which is i thought i figured i could get to the near corner of pennsylvania for sure in a in a skyhawk and uh and then finally, airport dude in the same thread. I, I'm, I don't even know if I understand this. I'm going to try and read this verbatim, and I'm going to, you guys tell me if this makes any sense to you. It sort of makes sense. All right. Airport dude writes, interestingly enough, the 385 nautical mile distance is nearly equivalent to the distance between Charlotte, North Carolina, 
and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. In the same distance covered, one Skyhawk unit of three and a half hours equates to one airline unit of four hours, given, given that the proposed flight time by airline is an hour and a half, adding two hours to the TSA checkpoint gate time and 30 minutes baggage claim time. So I'm I'm guessing airport dude spends a lot of time um, on what used to be uh, on, I guess on American now on on what used to be U.S. Airways. It's, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Charlotte being one of their monster hubs. Yeah, yeah. Philadelphia. Yeah. So I guess it's American uh, now. I don't recall. So, Amer- anyways, he, said, he concludes right. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Is it American? I don't know. I think it's American. It wasn't United, was it? I don't remember. Um, he concludes, therefore, one Skyhawk unit, or SHU, uh, can be said to be 1.4 airline units, AU. Conversely, one AU equals 0.87 SHU, or seven-eighths of an SHU. Yeah, see, I'm lost now. You know, uh, I, you know there's a good point here, and, and um, whether it's a Skyhawk or a Bonanza or a King Air or whatever— there's a a radius from yeah. your from your base that um you can generally use the airplane to beat airlines uh, mm-hmm. on yes. time and if you're carrying uh more than one person with you you're going to uh at least match them on per per head costs price yeah um yeah. and i always when i was based in virginia for example outside dc I always said that I can beat the airlines um, uh, east of the Mississippi um, in the Bonanza, and I could. Mm-hmm. Um, between um, uh, TSA, checking bags, all of that, uh, time spent in route, time on the other end, absolutely. Yeah. I, I believe it. There's definitely a number. Uh, there's a, yeah, there's a, 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 a I want to say tipping point. That's not quite the right term. But, yeah, there's a, you know. Oh, yeah. In, intersection where yeah the personal airplane is faster than the airlines for sure we used to have this conversation with lay people about how we could make dc from augusta airport we could make leesburg virginia from augusta airport in a little bit less time than it took us to fly the airlines to the same to to dulles which was just a few miles away and it it never it, it, the the conversations were always filled with skepticism. Wait a minute. How fast are you going? Uh, oh, about 160 miles an hour. And the jet's going how fast? Oh, about 540, 550. So how is that possible? Well, we go in a straighter line and we don't stop to change planes and have to spend an hour and a half in between the plane, getting off one and getting on the other. We didn't have to get early at the airport to go through TSA. So we could make Leesburg in about six and a half hours in Air Comanche, and it always took seven and a half to eight hours to get to Washington National or uh, or uh, Dulles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. when it was two of us, it was always cheaper because all we're paying is all we're spending money on is gas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, um, that's the Skyhawk unit. And then uh, final follow-up here, um, I, and I've put it in follow-up. It's kind of like uh, I, it could go either place, but anyways. So it's, um, I wasn't even going to put this story. So 
Amelia Earhart. Okay. <laughs> I, I, you know, I saw this story and I, and I didn't was, wasn't going to put it on the list because I thought, you know what? All right, poor woman. I was going to say we beat her to death. That's poor, that's a bad turn of phrase. Yeah, but um, incredibly bad. The whole stu- the whole subject. Poor Amelia Earhart and what's his name? Charlie. Charlie was that his name? Charlie. Charlie. Her, her, her navigator? navigator. Her navigator. Fred Noonan. Fred. Fred yeah. Fred Noonan, excuse me. Um, and so, uh, yeah, there's yet another group of people who uh, who who think they're on to where what became of her, and they're going to find evidence. David, I think you put this on the list. The, the Project Blue Angel, what, what is this all about? Well, it's different than the usual outfit that we hear from uh, that keeps going back to the same territory. Uh, these folks went back through her flight plan and looking at the weather conditions for the day. And instead of assuming that she had gotten to a point, gotten lost and tried to go back, that she just kept flying onward on the same route until she ran out of gas. And it took them to a completely different spot where they say they found a transparency, a window with a uh, fastener pattern that matches what was on the uh, Lockheed that she was flying. Okay. So this is... It, it, the same the same goal, but coming at it from a different angle with a different group of people, which is what got my attention. Yeah. Okay. I, I it would be a great story if they actually found evidence, but I'm starting to, you know, um, it would put a lot of people out of business. They yeah, ever con- right. <laughs> you know, I predict I predict that they will find the remains of of Fred and Amelia um, uh, among the wreckage of Malaysia 370. That's what I think that they're gonna. Well, Somewhere, I, I, I always blamed Amelia for being um, the guy with the umbrella on the grassy knoll in Dallas. <laughs> yeah, that could be true, too. There you go. That would explain a lot as well. Yeah. 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 So, anyways, I, it would be a comfort to somebody if they found these folks. But this is one of those stories. Yeah. You're right, Jeb. It's like the you know JFK conspiracy stuff. It'll... There's no evidence, but it'll never go away. Yeah. Well, if they solved the well, uh, missing Amelia's uh, yeah. uh, story, then they'd have to fall back on the uh, Malaysian airliner story because that'd be the next big missing, not recovered aircraft in the yeah. uh, story. Because that's the way it's going to be 100 years from now. People are still going to be talking about, we think we found it. There's a We, we tracked down the, the uh, flight plan, and we did the thing, and we found an old window part, and we think this is, this is Malaysia 370. Here it is. We're on to it. Oh no, I guess not. Um, but even- so. eventually they'll be right. Well, I don't know. They haven't found Amelia yet, and uh, well, uh, so well we could ameliorate that one. Yeah. Okay. All right. Did he New really stuff. just say that? Yeah, but it's, <laughs> he's been doing this for twelve years. Aren't you used to this yet? This is. Uh, he's a very punny guy. A very punny guy. Um, so this is this next story here is uh, so on one level this is a, a cool, somewhat heroic, heartwarming rescue story about an Air National Guard unit that rescued three people from an airplane that got stranded on a glacier, right? Anchorage, Alaska. What am I looking at here? The Seattle Times website, Anchorage, Alaska. Three people were rescued after their airplane sank in snow and ice uh, at Twenty Mile Glacier. 
The Alaska Air National Guard says airmen from the 10th and 212th Rescue Squadrons lifted a pilot and two passengers Thursday. Their names were not released. But, Jeb, what did you observe as being the kind of head-scratcher about this story? (laughs) Jeb? Oh, Jeb, you're muted. Jeb? Unmute, Jeb. I'm I'm back. Okay. Uh, so I was just, uh, I don't know how much you heard, I was summarizing this story, and then I asked what you thought was the uh, head-scratcher about this uh, three-people oh, rescue from I the glacier. I was hoping you weren't going to call on me. I had to go get a bottle of water. <laughs> so you were actually going, okay. All right. So I summarized this whole thing uh, about the uh, Air National Guard, the Alaska Air National Guard, uh, rescuing this pilot and two passengers. Right. And what was it that you, you noticed that was a head-scratcher about this story? Coming up, a Piper PA-18. Uh, which is a which is a super cub, which is a two seat airplane. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so Tan- and tandem at that, yeah, and tandem at that. So I, I mean, but it's got a big baggage thing area behind. Well, it, the, it does, and, and there's such a thing as um, you know a, a small child. Um, so I mean, it's certainly possible that a, a two seat airplane can have three people in it, uh, and legal too. Um, but. Uh, I just I just well, thought it was curious. Okay, that's interesting what you just said there. Um, so legal. Three, three people. You could have an infant under two carried, hand carried. Oh, 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 like lap carried. Lap okay, carried. Right. You know, la- a lap child. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. I was thinking there's no way squeezing somebody into the baggage area is going to be legal, even if it's even if you're legal weight and balance wise. Um, oh, maybe if they were in diapers. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it all depends. I mean... I'm sure there is. It, 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 first of all, the, the, I should say the the uh, identification of the aircraft could be wrong too. Uh, mm-hmm. It could have been a, it could have been a tripacer or something. Um, that uh, that's true. With Mainstream the, media has yeah, never been known exactly, to get the exactly. airplane ID wrong. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, okay. I was also going to say that um, we are talking about Alaska flying here, um, where you know. They've been known to stretch the rules about various, you know, weight issues and whatnot. Um, so, yeah. anyways. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, the rescue was timely. He was down to a half a pack of cigarettes. No, no, no. That's the other guy. No, we're going to come to that. I think that's a different guy, I'm pretty sure. We're going to talk about that one in a second, David. That's a good one, too. Um, Wait, are the, we talking about the guy that landed? Not yet. Not yet. We're coming. To, that one's next. Let's go to that well, one let's, right now. Let's, let's, let's go to that one right now. Yeah, let's go to that one right now. Okay, so. Ah, um, sorry. So the Air National Guard Alaska thing was arguably a crash. I mean, it was like a, well, I mean, I guess it was, they probably landed intentionally and obviously somewhat safely. But uh, um, we now have another Arc off the landing of the week, and I, I put a question mark after that. Um, this is from a story, um, CBC, which is Canadian um, Broadcasting Company, um, and it says pilot, seventy-two years old, uh, saved from frozen Manitoba Lake fifty-two hours after making pit stop to pee. That's the headline, folks. I, I'm just reading the headline. All yes, right. uh, uh, a bathroom break. The story reads turned into a missing person report for a 72-year-old pilot who became stranded on a remote, frozen northern Manitoba lake. 
Um, so long story short, this guy is flying along in his uh, what kind of airplane here? A two-seater prop plane, it says. I don't know if it actually says the... There's a picture of it. What is it? Way down low. That looks like a... a is that a cub? Is that a, uh, a, a, a champ? It's, I can't tell from... Let me see. David, you're our resident airplane spotter. Well, the only picture I'm seeing of, uh, th- th- that shows the airplane is from way above. No, no, s- no scroll, he, scroll down. There's a different scroll one. Scroll way down. There's an airplane of it sitting on the snow. That looks like a champ. Okay, hang on. Oh. Yeah. No, but the, That's the, the, a champ. The, That's a champ. Yeah. Is it a champ? The belly doesn't look quite round enough. But, yeah, okay. All right, so we're going to call it a champ. Um, two-seater. So, anyways, he's motoring along over the uh, frozen wilds of Manitoba, all right, and, uh, and, and needs to take a break, shall we say, all right? And so he decides he's just going to, like, you know, go down. He says, oh, look, there's an island right there, all right? I'm going to go down, and I'm going to land on the, on the snow-covered ice of this lake and, uh, and, and go do my thing and then take off and continue. So he did. Um, but then apparently, uh, when he went to restart the engine, it wouldn't start. He couldn't get the engine to start. And so he was stuck. He was trapped. And uh, he, they, his, his absence was noticed. And uh, they eventually set out people looking for him. And they finally found him. But he spent uh, 52 hours um, out here. Uh, and he had some, you know, he's a rough and rugged Manitoba guy, all right? Um, so he had, uh, you know, he had some skills in terms of surviving but he didn't apparently have a very very good uh a very good uh, uh you know he wasn't very well equipped for surviving on the ice um he had like one granola bar and a pack and a half of cigarettes is what they say in the story here um hmm. and uh, so this this goes to some this is almost a follow-up because we've talked about so many of these things um we talked about the subject of dressing warm enough in the case, in the event that you need yeah. to land out all right and uh um, yeah, this guy, um, I think he had some, some exposure problems here. He didn't have an awful lot of food. Um, he almost didn't have enough cigarettes. Um, and that's what David was referring to. They, there was yeah. some comment here somewhere about how he, uh, he was almost out of cigarettes when they finally found him. Um, and he was dehydrated badly. And, yeah. yeah. And, uh, that, apparent- one, that one surprises me because he's surrounded he, by water and well, and he got a fire going and he had a fire going according he, to the story. Yeah. yeah right. So, and he didn't. He didn't light a fire on the frozen lake. He went ashore to right. light the fire. Right. He, so. he, had, he had some equipment, but it was minimal. minimal yeah. Very minimal yeah. equipment. Um, yeah, the other follow-up part of this is the food thing. All right, we were talking earlier about having exactly. food. And that's, I exactly. wanted to ask you whether or not, so to the extent, and I know, you did, Jeb, you don't fly over the you know wilderness that much. Right. But. You know, I mean, to what extent should an emergency kit contain food, I guess, is the question here, right? Um, well, it depends on, as you say, yeah. you know, where you're flying. Um, yeah. Uh, if I was going over water, I would, you know, have, um, let me put it another way. If I was going over water for any appreciable distance outside of land, for example, mm-hmm. uh, I would want to carry a life raft. Yeah. And I would want it to contain some kind of food. Yep. Um the same is true for uh, a cold uh, uh, climate uh, survival kit, and perhaps especially so. Um, but there are things. You know, first of all, when we were talking earlier, uh, which may or may not make the cut on the episode, 
I was talking about, you know, just leaving stuff in the airplane. But um, the kind of kits that uh, we should be thinking about for these kinds of, of uh, uh, terrain, um, maybe you're going to shuffle them in and out of the airplane. You're going to change uh, change how they're stocked depending on where you're flying and, and what time mm-hmm. of year it is, things like that. Uh, so that's a whole different animal. Um, so, but, yeah, um, as I say, this guy was, this guy had some equipment. I mean, he barely had a sleeping bag. He had a tent, mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty much uh, uh, Canada has uh, uh, federal regulations on uh, survival kit carriage. If you oh, will. really? Yeah. Okay. Um, and I think they do in Alaska also. They certainly should. But Canada definitely has their own regulation. Um, so it seemed like he was compliant, but he wasn't, he wasn't, uh, uh, well equipped. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, he did okay by himself here, but you know, yeah. So I, we're going to call it an off field landing of the week, I guess, but, uh, um, well, it's definitely off field. Yeah, it was definitely off field. Well, and, and it's certainly the one of the week. Uh, I'm only just this minute tumbling to the fact that this is his name. Um, I thought this was an adjective. I thought they were describing him. Apparently, the man's name is Happy. Happy Ben Bednarik. Uh, yeah, that's apparently his name. That's not a description of his of his state of mind. Bednarik. Uh, they they mentioned I mean, Bednarik is a name. It's an interesting okay, name. Yeah, it's not yeah. a common name. My point here is his first name is apparently Happy. Um, Happy Bednark. Um, and happy's what he saw, what he was when he saw the search and rescue people. Yeah. So uh, I had he to concentrate looks... pretty good on staying calm, he, he was quoted as saying. Um, I dragged my stuff over to the shore, started building a fire. I was there for 52 hours. Uh, every 20 minutes to a half an hour, I have to go back and into the bush and get firewood, basically. Um, so, um, you know? Good deal. Hey, good job. Yeah, and uh, and he got he got. I'm just curious what happens to the airplane now. To be honest with you, um, the airplane is obviously sitting there. Other than it won't start, the airplane's in fine condition. Um, I gotta figure that somebody will go out there with a mechanic and try and get this thing running. And, oh and, yeah, and bring it oh, home. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, well, hopefully they drug it off the ice before they left it. Yeah, although they've got a couple months before they need to worry about that ice going away. Um, it's more exposing to the wind, I guess, that's an issue. But uh, yeah, but it could get it. It could sink enough into the ice on a war, on on a sunny day oh. that you have a hell of a time getting the skis out of the ice. Okay. Well, that okay. and it's going to snow more. Right. Um, and, yeah. And it's going to pile up, and, and is the skis are going to get even deeper. Yeah, well, that means 100 years from now, there'll be some recovery team will dig down into the ice to bring home this champ, which they'll find Amelia Earhart on board. <laughs> I, <laughs> what's next here? Uh, so the airlines are, I don't know, we're talking more about the airlines this episode than we usually do. The airlines are, are inconvenienced by commercial rocket launches. Yes. Yes. So uh, there's two things about this story. And, Jeb, I'm going to let you talk about the, you know, kind of the lead, if you will, what the main part of the story. What is this story? Why are the airlines in, con- unhappy about commercial rocket? So we're talking like the SpaceX things that are launching out of out of Cape Canaveral and, and, and others, right? Well, yeah, basically. Uh, uh, the, the, that particular area of uh, the east coast of Florida 
um, has a growing number of uh, spacecraft launches, apparently. Mm -hmm. Now, that might seem to be um, of great disinterest to a lot of people, but uh, it has the impact of closing uh, some airspace that stretches out east over the Atlantic to air traffic, uh, whether it... You know, certainly the military can get in there, but basically civilian air traffic, which conflicts, or, or I should say inconveniences mm -hmm. uh, airliners, mm -hmm. because there's often a lot of uh, trip, a lot of uh, um, even domestic activity to San Juan, for example, from mm -hmm. New York um, and uh, other you know, Yeah, or apparently other uh, like England to Miami kind yeah, of thing. Exactly, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, so it's so, it's of okay. concern to the airlines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now they have because they have to fly around it, and yes. flying around it consumes fuel and costs the airlines money, which is of course their primary uh, reason for being. Right. Now, okay, I don't know whether I'm all that. I'm just not broken. I'm just not sympathetic. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if I'm all that sympathetic yeah. either, because there's all kinds of reasons why airplanes have to choose the route they choose. Um, and this is just yet another one of them. So here, Barry, the lead kind of issue here is that this, the the graphics in this story are really yeah, cool. They really are. They're really, really cool, folks. You need to find this. You need to go on and get a good web browser. And I'm not sure how, what it would look like on a phone. So find a good web browser and go to this link, Washington Post. Uh, search for it or or we'll have a link in the show notes um and the really really cool animation that shows um basically the earth from orbit or from space uh, so you can see the whole eastern seaboard and the whole western atlantic ocean um and it shows the area that is re restricted by these launch you know tfrs or whatever you want to call them um and and then it shows airline aircraft traveling it shows them their little like little little sperms <laughs> zipping around it, jack yeah i know family okay. podcast family, family podcast. podcast um um you know and so it shows them zipping around and it shows the routes that they take when the when the space launch tfr is not there and then it suddenly shows the tfr lighting up and they suddenly have to like all follow this one particular route over florida and uh, it's, but it's a really cool graphic. Um, and, you know, okay, the, the graphic almost makes me sympathetic to the airlines. I'm going, wow, that really is a thing, all right? Um, it, it really, really, I, I, you know, these things are obviously, it looks a lot more dense than it really is but because the scale is weird. But there's a lot of traffic going over Florida during these TFRs because basically everything that's going north and south suddenly there's a to, lot of traffic going over florida when there's not a hurricane yeah okay yeah i know so anyways the, the graphic is cool the graphic is yeah, pretty some, cool. somewhere i've got um something from twitter or facebook somewhere of uh one of these um uh aircraft situational display maps mm -hmm. uh plotted uh when uh, hurricane irma came through Florida. Oh, yeah. I, I, and, I think and, I know the one you're talking about. What did it show? This particular one showed no airplanes whatsoever over the state of Florida. 
Right. But wasn't there one of those graphics that, that showed how, yeah, airline traffic just kind of dropped to near, yeah. to near zero there, because see, of the hurricane. Yeah, but then there was like one or two stragglers uh-huh. that like zipped out of I forget where, all right, at the very last possible moment in order to outrun the storm. There was one, like we talked about it. Uh, yeah, I think we did, time, yeah. It was uh, Hurricane Michael, I think, that hit Puerto Rico. We talked about a Delta flight that I think came out of JFK. And they were literally the LFO, the last flight out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you could see the, the, the video or the, the, the GIFs that, that were available that we talked about um, showed them weaving between storms to get out, weaving between bands of the hurricane as it came in. Um, yeah. That's that's hardcore. Yeah. So so the story, I don't know how much sympathy I feel for the airlines, but um, the uh, I, I, you might ask me that I feel a little more sympathy for the passengers because it's probably going to cost some time and 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 whatnot but uh, the airlines you know what it's a crowded space and lord knows they make it difficult for enough other people that exactly if they have to be yeah i'm just i'm just not sympathetic and i would simply maybe point out that it's going to get worse probably um because well and drones as drones continue to get their own airspace that's going to make a difference too um yeah i don't think you have to worry i don't know it kind of depends uh, on, i don't depends on the altitudes um Mark my words, the drone, the day will come that, and not too far in the future where drones are a bigger business than the airlines. Yeah, that, that's the problem with this, this um, um, downrange launch zone problem is the mm-hmm. altitudes involved. Yeah. Because it's basically surface to, to uh, uh, orbit. Inf- yeah, surface to orbit. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, well, let's face it. We can boil this problem down to one thing. Yeah, it's public airspace. So just let anybody use it. Well, I know. Well, uh, there's one thing. I, you know, does does this spacecraft even have ADSB? <laughs> okay. Um, I got a text message the other day. Um, actually, probably more like uh, two weeks ago now, uh, from a friend of mine from the events industry who uh, had been in Las Vegas uh, preparing some stuff for one of his clients um, at the Consumer Electronics Show. And, um, and he, he, had, he had left the prep, um, and the show hadn't opened yet. Uh, and he, he texted me saying, I, I saw this thing uh, while I was there on the show floor, and I, we, we can't take pictures because it's not open yet, but once it's public... I'll, I'll, I'll take pictures and send you pictures of this thing. He says, he says, uh, Bell, the helicopter people, Bell helicopter people are showing off this, this uh, sort of droney, you know, uh, 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 oh, droneish. They're, they're Nexus. Uh, yeah, uh, 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 tilt rotary kind of, you know, uh, air taxi thing. And he says it's really cool. Um, and uh, and then yeah, a few days later after the show had opened and it was legitimate for them to take pictures. Um, I, I, I received a couple of pictures and then also saw them in the, in the news as well. Um, this is kind of an interesting airplane. I, you know, and he first characterized it as a drone because I think when he saw it, the rotors were all horizontal. So it's got six electric-powered you know, rotors, um, three on each side. Uh, and, uh, and it's got a, you know, sort of a – I mean, other than not having wings and, and, and conventional propellers, it's got a fairly traditional – you know, fuselage in the middle. And, uh, um, and I think that, uh, 
Let's see what the story here is. This is a story from, I'm looking at a story from Wired magazine. Um, Bell reveals a surprisingly down-to-earth air taxi. Wired, Wired magazine, that well-known aviation source. Yeah. Past two years have seen visions of traffic-hopping bliss dis- delivered via spry. <laughs> yeah, okay, this first, the lead paragraph is already, like, making me regret uh, Bell just made sure 2019 will be a different at CES this afternoon. The aerospace company unveiled its own view of the future. The 6,000-pound Nexus comes equipped with 150-mile range, top speed of 150 miles an hour, expansive windows, uh, augmented reality, et cetera, et cetera, all kinds of technology. Um, anyways, and it's a tilt rotor. Um, it, so, you know, I guess the theory is that, well, it's not just electric-powered. It's an electric-powered tilt rotor, so you, you can get some benefits of airspeed that you sometimes can't get with pure rotor-driven things. Um, so, anyways. Interesting. My, but, uh, you know, I I guess the main reason this story catches my eye um, is because my friend was just so jazzed by seeing it in person. Apparently, it's... That didn't mute. Um, and... Uh, and uh, uh, you know, I'm kind of curious to see it myself. The pictures I've seen, it does it look like an impressive aircraft. Well, just a couple of the numbers here are, kind of resonate. First of all, they're saying it's, it's going to weigh six thousand pounds, which not coincidentally is kind of a cutoff uh, for uh, small aircraft and um, uh, certification requirements. Mm-hmm. Uh, 150 mile range. Isn't all that great? A top speed of 150 mile an hour. That's not all that great either. Right. Um, but, but I don't think they think but, it's a long range. But it's crowd. enough. Yeah. It's it's, it's for en- short hops. Yeah. It's around it's, town. It's enough that starts to make it um, um, a real utility. Like, you know, when you want to get from say downtown New York to uh, Albany, uh, New York, or something, or or even to Boston. Of course, you can always get on an airliner. And perhaps save a bunch of money. Um, maybe not. Maybe maybe this is the the really the way to go. It saves you time getting from downtown to an airport. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's not a helicopter. It's not. Uh, it doesn't consume. This is all electric, I believe. Right. I, that's my understanding. Yeah, yes. yeah. I mean, yeah, hybrid electric propulsion system. So, yeah. Um, uh, it may consume some jet fuel or something, but. Uh, um, you know, I'll take it, take that as it comes. It's certainly an interesting concept, um, as the, I think the article notes. If anyone can pull it off, Bell has the resources. Yeah, it's certainly not a, uh, yeah. I was going to say fly by night. Yeah. you know, uh, startup. Yeah, um, it, it, it's a real aviation company with a real track record, and uh, um, so we'll see. It's interesting. They, they, I, I presume. For, you know, from the hubbub, this was never seen before, this CES. It's interesting they chose CES to roll this out. Yeah. CES has become a funny show in recent years. Yeah. It's, it's it's not just consumer electronics. It's kind of this technology, you know. It's like Comic-Con used to be comics, and it's become pop culture entertainment. Yeah. And I think CES is kind of the Comic-Con of, of I don't know, you know, electronics. Yeah. Of technology, yeah, I, I guess. I, I used to attend CES. I don't know what it's become now. So, yeah. Well, all yeah. this, all this advancing technology is all well and good, but nobody has yet addressed the key stumbling block to this nirvana of 
little air taxis taking us to and from everywhere that we want to go. Then that's the same thing that killed the tilt rotor as a civilian project. Yeah. Where are you going to get permission to put it down and land to pick up people and deliver them? Well, yeah. That's that's same. The, the, the tilt rotors, the tilt rotors' original dream, the fans' dream was to pick you up downtown and take you to the suburbs and land in somebody's front yard. <clears throat> All of which ignores local zoning rules, FAA rules. Uh, so in. Until somebody starts talking about how they're going to resolve that, to me, this is all just more blue sky. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree. I agree. And and yeah, did you know that it's um, that there is no place in the city of San Francisco, California, where you can land a helicopter? Um, there are no approved helipads really? anywhere in San Francisco. Now. This may be 20-year-old information, and maybe it's changed. But it was certainly true back in the day when I was flying in California. You know, it's a shame. In, yeah, I know. In this day and age, okay. we don't have some device. San Francisco. Helicopter. Helico- no, just pull up a sectional or, a, or, a, or the terminal chart. Well, I, but every single potential helipad wouldn't be on the chart, would it? Uh, helipads are usually charted if they're in the system. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, let's see that. But I, the, the, way back when, the story was that heli- helipads, heli- helipads were explicitly not not um, approved in San Francisco because they didn't want helicopters buzzing around or something like that. I don't know whether it was a safety issue or a noise issue or whatever. Uh, I'm I'm looking at a. Well, uh, I just Googled San Francisco helipads, and the very first thing on the on the list was stop the SF General Hospital helipad. <laughs> exactly what I'm talking about. The NIMBYs, not in my backyard, people. Yeah, you're right. And this may, is maybe. for a freaking. This is for a freaking hospital, folks. It's not like they're going to be shuttling passengers back and forth to San Francisco International. Right. Yeah, okay, so I, now this is a, to get first medical helipad in decades. That's October of 2014. Okay. I'm, and I'm looking at a March 2014 story from the CBS San Francisco Bay Area WKPIX website. Uh, the lead paragraph says, A helicopter crash like the one that killed two people in Seattle Tuesday morning um, is unlikely to happen in San Francisco because helicopters are not allowed to land in the city outside of an emergency. Uh for decades, residents have battled the use of helicopters and helicopter pads within San Francisco city limits due to noise and safety concerns. Major medical facilities like San Francisco General and UCSF uh, don't have landing pads. This is 2014. Uh, there are nearly two dozen other hospital landing locations around the Bay Area. The city does allow landing at 29 city locations in... Wait a minute. It says the city does allow <laughs> landing at 29 city locations in certain emergency situations. All right. So... Um, Seriously. Yeah. Okay. Are you seeing the same story? <clears throat> yeah. I'm, I'm trying to zoom in on the sectional here and see what I can see. Man, this fight goes back... I'm looking at clips back to 2007. Man. 
I had no yeah. idea that, that there was no helicopter operations. Yeah. So according to this, and again, this is from 20, well, the article's 2014, and now I'm looking at the list, 29 San Francisco helicopter emergency medical landing sites. Oh, I wonder if that means not that the helicopter's having an emergency, but that they need to land in order to pick up an emergency. Yeah. That might be what yeah. this means. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's a. So know. if you're going to have an accident and need to be airlifted in San Francisco, be sure you crash at one Refer of those 29 the, locations. Right. Refer to this list. Yeah, exactly right. Okay. Duh. Um, okay. There's a glider? No, this doesn't make any sense. But never. But anyways, I have, I have the first customer for this Bell rotor air taxi thing. Oh, all right? Okay. The, the because ne- I hear. The, the Nexus. Yes, the Nexus, because I hear that the governor of Florida <laughs> needs, an, <laughs> needs, needs an airplane, right? Is this uh, what, yeah. Jeb, you're the Florida poor, man. Tell yeah, us what's going on poor, here. Poor Florida. Um, <laughs> so we had this election last last November here in Florida. Yeah. And uh, this guy, I'd never really heard of him before. Um, Ron DeSantis, Republican, wins the election. He he's gotten off to a shaky start in some ways. Um, he uh, um, apparently though the pre- the, you got to set the stage here first. Previous governor Rick Scott, um, yeah, had uh, had had his own resources. He was a billionaire before he uh, um, um, became governor of Florida, and he had his own airplane. He, he had, you know he had a business jet. Yep, um, and he used it instead of any state aircraft when he traveled, uh, uh, whether state or personal business. Oh, okay. he sold off the state he, jets. He, he sold off. He sold off the state jets because he yeah. didn't need. We didn't need them. Right. So, because of course he's planning to be governor forever. Because he's going to be governor for life. Now, now he's senator though, so I don't know if that's an upgrade or not. But oh, okay. um, yeah, right. yeah, that's a whole other topic. So now the new guy arrives, and there's no airplane. The new guy arrives, there's no airplane. So he was flying around, apparently on a King Air, uh, I'm, I'm led to believe, um, operated by the Florida Department of, of Law Enforcement, basically the, right. the state police agency. And where did this airplane come from? It was a, seized during a drug bust. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. Now, yeah. it gets better. Okay, go it ahead. It gets better. Yeah. The airplane developed mechanical problems. Yeah. Uh, on a Friday a week or so ago, and forced an emergency landing of, of the airplane in St. Petersburg. Okay. Um, apparently the state uh, or the governor's office or whomever uh, uh, chartered another airplane to get the governor uh, to his uh, – he had to get to Fort Lauderdale, apparently. Right. Um, and so they got a chartered another King Air, maybe, and zapped him down to Lauderdale. Um, and so I don't know. You're going to – Something obviously needs to be done. Florida is a big state. Yes. Okay, and it's not feasible. It's not reasonable uh, to expect the chief executive to drive. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, it takes me an hour in the Bonanza, just in the debonair, just to get out of the state. Yeah. And I'm not uh, at the bottom of it either. So there's another, no. there's, another, yeah, there's another hour, basically. 
Yeah, you're hard, you're like maybe two thirds of the way down. Yeah. yeah, this is this is always the sobering part when I drive down there in the winter time. It's uh, you know you drive and you drive and you drive and you go through you know all the East Coast and and you go and you go ah oh, I finally made it to Florida only to realize that you still got like four hours exactly. of driving exactly. you know. Um, so, so yeah, big place. So, so I don't begrudge the guy needing an airplane. I, I, he, um, he needs he needs safe and reliable transportation as as the the. the uh, uh, bottom the last line of the article says and i suspect we'll see the florida uh government be buying a king air or, or, or a, i don't know maybe a uh a light jet or something who knows right it seems a little false economy to me that they got rid of the old airplanes i mean i, I get that the previous guy what scott right yeah um you know now senator scott um wanted to use his own airplane because he was familiar with it and then probably had, you know. No, he just... made a big deal about state excess and expenses and all this stuff. And but the, the state uh, doesn't really need an airplane. I have my own, and anybody that comes behind me is just scrud. So, yeah, but this is, like, crazy because it's like, so you're pretending like the jet doesn't cost money? I mean, whether or not the state's paying for it. Of course the um, state's paying for it. And arguably they should be paying for at least part of it. That's only fair. All right. Um, But, um, you know, it's like he didn't really save any money. He just got to use his own airplane, you know. And I I, I won't, you know, I mean, I was into conspiracy theories earlier, and I guess I'm going to stop now. But, um, you know, there is it does beg the question of whether or not, this was a way for him to funnel Florida money into his flight program. Um, I, I, I don't Jack, know. I'm shocked, shocked. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right? You would huh? you would think one of our our uh, fl- statewide Florida public servant would have any conception of such malfeasance. You know, present company accepted. I'm not convinced that Florida men most of the time are smart enough to think of these kinds of things. Yeah, um, uh, see, now I'm going to get in trouble for that. You're going to be see, in such a... That, that, was, like that such... was Hodgson, H-O-D-G-S-O-N. <laughs> you'll, be, that seemed, you'll be getting baby alligators in the mail That now. seemed like such a clever joke as it was coming out of my mouth. And <laughs> soon followed by... Soon followed my, by me remembering all of the people I know who live in Florida. All right. Uh, this is that's, really bad. That's called speaker's remorse. Yeah, I know. All right. And, I'm and sorry. gang, was, he's going to be here in a couple of weeks. It was he's going to be in Florida. Actually, not in a couple of weeks. By the end of the coming week. It was a cheap joke. I apologize. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm not going to tell you what to do about this. But you I'm know, sorry. These facts. Are, these, these are the facts. So, So the Florida government. Governor doesn't have an airplane, and or, or the one he's got apparently breaks for you know whatever yeah, reason. I, have, I haven't know. seen any follow up on this story, so yeah. So, anyways, so we got to get the Florida governor, DeSant. Would you say DeSantis? DeSant. Uh, what is it? Yeah, DeSantis. Yeah, yeah. We need to send him to Oshkosh. Jeez, Jeb, he's your governor. You should know his <laughs> he's name. Not, well, I guess he is. Yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah, okay. Hi, this is Jack. We here at Uncontrolled Airspace are very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. There are two simple ways that you can contribute to this podcast. You can make a one-time, non-repeating donation by using PayPal. It doesn't need to be very much. As little as $10 or $15 is a big, big help. Or you can make an automatically repeating per-episode pledge with Patreon. With the online service Patreon.com, you can pledge as little as $1 per episode, put limits on your per-month contribution, and change or cancel your pledge at any time. For more information about how you can support this podcast in one of these ways, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. 
That will take you to a page with details on both these support methods. Thanks. All right. Um, where were we here? Um, Should be getting near time. I know, huh? Shout-outs. Uh, in no particular order here. Um, first of all, um, uh, chances are through the magic of audio editing, you just heard us uh, uh, tell you a little bit about Patreon supporters and how you can help out the podcast. And let me just reiterate by saying thank you very much to everybody who does help us out. And uh, uh, a reminder for those of you who support us at the $3 per episode or more level, um, get access to the exclusive after show uh, where we ramble and talk about silly things even more than we do on the regular podcast. But people seem to like it so uh, we're going to keep doing it for a little bit longer um and uh so yeah if you don't already support us at three dollars or more and and you you want more of this foolishness that's probably your best bet um all kidding aside thank you we really appreciate the support um it helps support the podcast it helps support us to uh, keep doing uh this stuff uh you guys what what, what shout outs do you guys want to do give me one here uh, what do you got uh, let me take shelly um yeah um a uh, big shout out to a uh, longtime friend of the podcast, longtime uh, uh, colleague um, uh, Shelly Seamy. Uh, here, here. Um, formerly of Gamma, formerly of uh, Adam Aircraft, formerly of uh, Aurora Flight Sciences, to just to name a few. Jeppesen, I, I forgot a Jeppesen. Um, associated with them anyway, at least you know, independent contractor uh, status, doing PR and whatnot. She's the new director, I guess it's president, uh, executive director, of uh, NISEO, the National Association of State Aviation Officials. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, we're going to put aside for the moment uh, NISEO's place in the in the universe of aviation organizations, but we're going to have Shelley on sometime in the very near future. Uh, she's good people. She's been around this industry for a long, long time. And uh, I want to I want to uh, to hear more from her about Naseo. Yeah, yes. Um, so congratulations to her yeah, uh, on on this new spot and uh, um, good and, luck. And Shelley, if you hear this, I know somewhere Henry is smiling right now. Shazam! Yep, Shazam! Yep, Henry O, the former longtime um, head of Naseo, passed away sadly a few years back. Uh, who I, was Henry ever on the podcast? I, I'm trying to remember whether Henry was on the podcast. I think he might have been. We did early on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think he was on the podcast way back when. Um, cool guy. You guys knew him way better than I did. I met him a few times, and he was really, really, really interesting guy, and did some really good work in the aviation world. Um, and uh, uh, as I said, tragically passed away too young yeah. a few years back. Um, but uh, the work goes on, and uh, I'll look forward to meeting Shelley. Uh, Ms. Simi. Um, I got it. They're going to do a quick shout out. Yeah, go ahead. Ryan, Amanda, thanks for signing up for the uh, Patreon account. I hope that uh, you enjoy the coming after shows. They'll know who I'm talking about. Okay, excellent. Yeah. Excellent, yes. Um, Shout out to the uh, they're they're going to do this Washington D.C. flyby thing again yeah, apparently. Yeah. Um, um, oh, the arsenal of democracy. Yeah, which I mean, given the current, well, I mean, shut down aside because even though it seems like it's going to last forever, it probably won't. They're last not doing forever. this till twenty twenty. 
Yeah, they're not doing it for until we'll, next year. We'll either be in another war by then, or yeah, or okay. the, the, the country will have been rebooted. Yeah, okay. So it'll, that part will be okay. Um, in any event, they they did this a bunch of years ago, and it was really cool. I mean, it was really cool where they did these uh, this uh, parade of of uh, um, historic aircraft, military aircraft, flying over, um, you know. If downtown, if you will, downtown Washington D.C. over the over the mall and, and the Capitol and whatnot, and uh, uh, very very cool thing back then. And uh, um, I can only imagine that it'll get even more um, attention next time now that we have seen how cool it is. Um, but uh, they're going to do it. They've currently scheduled what to do it on May eighth, twenty twenty, which is like not this spring, but next spring. Um, and this would be to commemorate the 75th anniversary of the end of World War II. So I don't know. Maybe it's not too soon to mark your calendar. I mean, maybe even to plan a visit to D.C., because I, I might. Um, it, it might be really cool to go and see this with my own eyes. Um, the videos alone were pretty cool. Um, so Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Uh, you know, That's a good time uh, to be in D.C., too. Good yeah, time. Oh, May? Good, t- yeah. good time of the year. Yeah. yeah. Did you guys notice who... Uh, took the uh, photo of the two P-40s? Uh, no. Which photo is that? Oh, is that a part of this link here? Let me look at it. Again. The vintage Warbird to fly over Washington, uh, D.C. story. Let's see now. Oh, yeah. Oh, Fred Johnson. Very cool. Yeah. Outstanding. Yeah. You don't see, and, I, and he d- certainly does it. I, I, I'm not, I don't think of him as being an air-to-air photographer, but I, he does get a chance to ride in a lot of really cool Warbirds, so he has lots of opportunities for this kind of thing. Um, and uh, I usually think of him as, as, his, as his YouTube channel, um, where he yeah. uh, posts all kinds of, uh, of mostly ground-based videos of, uh, of uh, airplanes not to, and trains, if you're into the, For some reason, they do, he has airplanes and trains. Yeah, not to take anything away from Fred's work here, but as nicely aligned as those two P-40s are, even I could take that picture. Yeah. It's like, oh, there it is right there, snap. Yeah, yeah. But again, yeah. not to take anything away from Fred's stuff. No, no, is, that was this, a cool picture. Very cool, cool picture. Cool. So, anyways, May eighth, twenty twenty, could be a cool moment to be in in Washington D.C. to to check out these airplanes flying overhead. Um, remember they had a uh, the the uh, when they did it last time, um, there wasn't there an engine failure. Well, I'm trying to remember the details here. Where did the somebody, guy land? Somebody, somebody. Uh, uh, did he go to national? He maybe rolled right, rolled out on national. It was like a yeah, okay, like a hell diver or a dauntless or something some like other that. Right, Grumman yeah. Navy World War II radial powered uh, aircraft and and rolled out on uh, on one nine at, at DCA and got towed to the ramp. Yeah, so uh, hopefully that won't happen again. But uh, hopefully um, that won't happen again. Or if it does, it'll have the same kind of outcome. Yeah, but the parade of aircraft, cool thing. Yeah, cool thing. Yeah. Other shout outs. What do you got? Somebody want to, um, David, you met Herb Kelleher. Oh, we're going to do this now? Well, we're gonna, we certainly want to say a few words now. I, I mean, we may elaborate yeah, in the sure, after sure. show, but we may elaborate in the after show. Y'all go but, ahead and but, do but that. Cer- I'll be right back. Okay. But, David, certainly just say a few words about Herb Kelleher. Well, uh, they, I, can't say too, I can't say enough about Herb Kelleher. Uh, Herb Kelleher was the lawyer that helped him. Dallas area businessman start Southwest Airlines and eventually uh, very quickly Herb went to work for Southwest because they spent five years fighting court cases from other airlines trying to keep them from starting an airline that was only going to fly within Texas Mm -hmm. that was that was the concept so they didn't need 
to, uh, to to get the FAA's permission. They didn't need to get the uh, uh, what was it, Civil Aeronautics Board in on it because they were just going to fly interstate, not intrastate. And uh, well, Herb rose to be chairman, lived long enough to be chairman emeritus. Uh, and he and the secretary, who wound up being president later on, they revolutionized the airline industry mm-hmm. with the first really, truly, and consistently successful low-cost carrier, Southwest. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll have more to say about him in the after show. But Herb passed a, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the whole aviation world responded to it because the guy was a truly unique character. In mm-hmm. addition to being a business genius. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's a sad thing. But but he did some great work and uh, left quite a legacy. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I'm going to jump in with this one other shout out, um, and that is just to uh, uh, acknowledge the loss of another small airport. Um, and I mention this mostly because it's in my, my stomping grounds. I've never actually operated out of this airport. Marlboro, Massachusetts. Um, is uh, has forever had a little airport, um, uh, uh, relatively small even for a GA airport, um, kind of tucked in amongst a bunch of other things. Um, the one time I ever drove past it even, um, I was um, struck by how close the end of the runway was to sort of the public road. and I mean, it, it, to come in and touch down in the, in the right spot, you were going to be pretty low over everything else. and it, So it was really tucked in there. Um, but it, it ran for a long time, and according to this news story, um, it is um, it is going to close. Let me just see what the details are on this here. Let's see. Um, from Flying Magazine's website, 100-year-old uh, airport to be destroyed. That's kind of putting it harshly. Um, Marlboro Airport property. Come on, the ad's in top. Um, I can't read the headline. What does it say? Uh Airport property will be turned into an industrial area. There's an old story. Um, so, uh, anyways, sorry to see it go, but yeah. uh, um, Marlboro is notable. Here's some UCAP trivia for you here. Um, before there was a lookout point, there was Marlboro um, in the Hodgson family. Um, oh, really? Before, yeah, before, when I was a very young child, um, before our family went and built the place that became Lookout Point, um, my very young parents, <laughs> when I think about it, my startlingly young parents, um, had uh, built a home, a summer home, vacation home uh, in Marlboro, Massachusetts, on a uh, small lake there. Um, and uh, the first house that I knew of that my dad built all by himself with his two hands that still sits there, that house um, in Marlboro. So Marlboro has, a, has that kind of a thing in, in my, in my uh, history. Um, and, uh, yeah, hmm. so it's, you know... Um, it's sad to see it go. Um, you know, I don't know what to say about it here. Yeah, you know, there's, 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 these things say. happen and, and, uh, and continue to happen. And continue yeah. to happen. Uh, um, and, and, you know, the sad part is, I mean, the especially sad part, I mean, if people were to realize how valuable these are, this is a particularly valuable one because it's really in, in town. I mean, this is like not out on the fringes where, you know, you've got to like, I mean, this is relatively close to downtown. Um, this would be a very, very convenient airport to, uh, to, to use to visit Marlboro and to, you know, do whatever it is you do in the Marlboro area. Um, but, uh, 
alas, I guess it's not meant to be or it's not going to be in the future. It's not going to be any uh, longer. So. Yeah, it's a shame. I got, yeah. I'm sorry, before we move on, so did you see the thing? A friend of mine a friend of mine sent me a text the other day. He said, did you see this? Holy crap, this is just cool. He found this news story about how, uh, um, um, what's his name, the mayor of Chicago um, had announced that uh, they were going to, because uh, this is the, um, oh, I'm blanking on his name. He's the guy who Ra- was. Rahm Emanuel. Oh, Rahm Emanuel, thank you. Um, the story was very compelling. Rahm Emanuel announces that they're going to uh, reopen, they're going to rebuild Meigs Field in Chicago um, um, because they, you know, realized the, they, they've always known that that, that was a bad idea and, uh, and it, and it was an interesting story, and I'm reading it, and I'm going, well, this would be really cool this on is, some level. This is the, makes this sense. Is the Onion or Chicago's version of Close. The Onion? Yeah, right. Um, and I'm reading the story, and my friend sent it to me you know, in good faith, believing that it was cool and, and true. And, and I'm looking at it, I'm going, well... No, I'm not sure if I'm buying this. All right, you know, and then and then towards about the you know I don't know what, eighth or ninth graph in this story, it makes re- reference to the fact that the new airport is in also you know cool thing because it's Chicago. This new airport's going to have the tallest control tower in America. All right, <laughs> and I'm going. Wait a minute, time out. Making a tea with my hands here. Time out. All right, that doesn't make sense. And so I did a little bit more digging and discovered that this. Uh, let's see if I can find it and send it to yeah, you. Yeah, because I would I would have. All right, where is it here? It's uh, it's this friend over here. You know who you are, uh, and uh, let's see now. Uh, I wonder if that copies the link. Here we go. Let's do this. Let's see, yeah, that looks like a link right there. Or did you get that? Let's see. Yes. Yeah. What an uh, so this is from the aviation <laughs> the aviation daily news it's the aviation daily dot news all right which was also a little bit of a thing i'm going a dot news domain that's kind of odd all right aviation daily um so it's aviation the aviation news that matters is the little headline here all right chicago meigs field to reopen in 2020 uh, Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel has announced his plans to return Chicago Meigs Field back to service as a thriving class Delta airport in the fall of 2020. And you read the story, and it's kind of kind of plausible. It's like, okay, you know, I'm thinking this would be a huge thing. It's just too huge to be believable just to start out with. And then uh, plans call for an on-field restaurant, first-class FBO, and bragging rights of the tallest control tower in North America. And that's where I was going, okay, hang on. Hang on, you know, and uh, so, anyways, I, I'm looking at this going, wait a minute, but now it just doesn't make well, sense. He, How he, do I know? Here's a, side, here's a um, sidebar headline. Yeah. Exclusive. Amelia Earhart found alive and well in Fayette County, yeah. Georgia. And that's how I finally I, is. I went to the homepage. I went to the uh, to the uh, aviationdaily.news homepage um, and looked at the other stories that they are are uh, um, you know 
New Bravo. And, and it, it is, if you read their about, right? Uh, and they, they play it kind of close to the vest. But if you read their about page, they do say, hey, this is satire. You, you know, pub- another one from the sidebar, another head from the sidebar. AOPA to award one lucky bastard a million-dollar flight training scholarship. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. In their about page, it says, this site publishes satire. If you don't have a sense of humor, that's unfortunate. Uh Oh, we I'm, call I'm this gonna... discrepancy the experience of fact-checking gap. Anyways, um, seems like a fun site, uh, and I just—I guess I'd recommend. I, li- to I like their it. opinions, and I'm going to subscribe to their newsletter. <laughs> yeah. So uh, there was another one here. What was it? There was a there was an Oshkosh F- one. Here's another one. FAA can't explain how airplanes fly. Defers <laughs> to NASA. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, where was it here? Uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff here. Oh, I know. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. EAA cancels 2019 air venture due to ongoing Canadian border crisis. So. <laughs> uh, this is, uh, I would have to FAA find. seeks volunteers to drink excessively. I like that one. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll have to investigate this website a little bit more. Yeah. Anyways, aviation daily dot news. Uh, where were we here? I'm sorry that we got distracted here. It's, uh, I got one more quick shout out. Yeah, go ahead. Don't be quick. We're trying to make a double episode here. I don't know if it's working or not. We'll see. Time will well, tell. Well, so far so good. Uh, I, I, I got to tip my hat to the uh, members of the uh, Canadian Air Traffic Controller Association. Yes, indeed. Yes, uh, absolutely. I this could be an onion story too. I don't know, but go ahead. David. No, it's it's real. Uh, the uh, CATCA, as the acronym goes, from Moncton and Gander. Those are both center. Uh, bought pizza for the uh, New York center controllers who are mm-hmm. working without pay in the midst of this shutdown. And come to find out, controllers out in Vancouver did the same thing uh-huh. for Seattle controllers. Mm-hmm. So uh, hats off to our brothers and, and, and sisters in Canada that handle this uh, cross-border due to handoffs. Uh, help keep traffic sorted out for their uh, their their camaraderie and solidarity with the American controllers who are continuing to work without pay. Now, yeah. now I want pizza for lunch. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I well, I have a frozen pizza that could you know because I'm trapped here. This is like we're under. Under, uh, is that frozen pizza that you brought out from the porch? Yeah, no. Yeah, really. It's been sitting in my. It's a, anyway. Think of how uh, much energy you're going to have to consume when to to keep that refrigerated when you could just leave it outside. You know, this has always been a puzzle to me. Yes, this is absolutely true, Jeb. All right, okay, we're going to come back and talk about refrigerators in the after show. I'm making a note refrigerators, refrigerators in the after show. Okay, it sounds kind of uh, ominous, actually. I know, huh? Uh. By the way, uh, Hodgson family history. Um, I was going to say save that. No, we won't save. We won't save everything for the after show. We'll give everybody this one. Hodgson family history. We were talking about Marlboro being lookout point before there was a lookout point. Um, Moncton. You mentioned Moncton, um, Canada, which is up sort of north of, northeast of Maine, um, is where the Hodgson family is from. Um, that's where uh, my uh, grandfather, John. I'm John the third. Some people don't maybe don't know that uh, Jack, but. Legally, I'm John the Third. John Senior, my grandfather, um, was born up in the Moncton area, um, actually in a little town called Shediac. 
which as a kid I thought was a cool word because it was like cursing. Um, but uh, Moncton is where the Hodgson family um, is originally from and still is. Um, the Hodgson family is still up there. Um, my grandfather's brother, uh, his descendants continued to live up there, Moncton. Uh, what else? <laughs> we, why stop now? Why stop now? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, where were we? I don't know. Hang on. Where'd it go? Where'd my little list go? Uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about the shutdown in the after show because it's liable to get heated. And, 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 you know, yeah, it, it li- yeah, I don't know. We'll see. But, uh, uh, no, I guess that's it. I think we're done. Fork, fork time. <laughs> fork time. Fork time. Uh, thank you, guys. Uh, it's 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 always fun. It was especially fun today. This was good. Uh, Jeb, Jeb Burnside. Uh, Jeb, uh, for anybody who hasn't been paying attention, Jeb is a freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, what have you been working on? Uh, very little uh, since uh, getting the last issue in the can, uh, but gearing up for the March issue of Aviation Safety. Um, also gearing up, I've got some some free time on my hands, not traveling as much first part of the year. So uh, uh, gearing up to do some other projects uh, for a few months and uh, uh, kind of tow that line. Um, of course, there's always uh, um, sun and fun coming up and uh, the AEA show. Um, um, I'll be doing some stuff for them. That's uh, the Aircraft Electronics Association there at AEA.net. Uh, you can find me um, both some current stuff, maybe, and some older stuff on avweb.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, AIN Online is another outlet occasionally. Uh, and uh, generalaviationnews.com. On the Twitter machine, it's Burnside J. There we go. There we go. Thank you. And uh, Dave Higdon. Dave's an aviation photographer and aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's App Buyer magazine. David, what have you been working on? A lot, I know. Give us a couple. Uh, well, the uh, current issue of Avionics News, I uh, somehow or another wound up with a trifecta in here. So I'll just talk about one of the stories is uh, on the uh, new technology lithium-ion batteries that are coming into the market for uh private aircraft for part 23 aircraft and uh but so far nothing for 14 volt systems they're all for 24 volts so mm-hmm. uh if you're flying something with the 12 volt system uh, then you got plenty of uh lead acid batteries and recombinant gas batteries and all that to fall back on also i have a story in there about the uh upcoming adsb mandate and a review of Avidine's IFD 550 uh, all-in-one navigator with its own uh, attitude detection system in it. Cool, cool. And where are all these things located on the Internet? Well, uh, AEA.net for the avionics news, uh, avbuyer.com for my uh, features there and my weekly business aviation blog, or, you know, uh, scratch your head and do a Google search for Dave Higdon in aviation. No telling what might show up. Know, I'm, huh? I'm real Higdon on the Twitter machine, and uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Very cool. Very cool. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a digital media producer. Um, uh, just continuing to, to work on getting moved into this new place here in Dover. Um, 
these couple of days hunkered down to uh, avoid the uh, the storm. It's been a relatively mild. Jeff Jeb will laugh at this, but it's been a relatively mild winter so far. But uh, it's starting to make up for it today. Uh, and uh, um, I actually sort of unrelated to aviation. I volunteered recently to become the shop manager for the electronics shop at the Makerspace, where I'm a member. Um, I've talked off and on over the past few years about this Makerspace in Portsmouth, Port City Makerspace, uh, where I've been a member, and I've learned how to do welding, and I've learned a little bit more about woodcraft than I knew before, and CNC routers and so forth. And they needed a volunteer for someone to kind of, you know, ride herd on and, and help out with the electronics lab, which is where we do all kinds of things like 3D printing and CNC routing and Arduino and Raspberry Pi stuff and and all that kind of thing. And so um, that's something that's new to me in the last couple of weeks and it's kind of starting to get my feet wet over there. So that's kind of fun. If you live in the southern New Hampshire area and you're at all interested in these kind of things, you should check out Port City Makerspace. It's uh, it's uh, a cool facility, like like great many makerspaces around the country. So anyways, uh, you can find me online uh, in most of the usual places uh, with the username Jack Hodgson. That's my first and last name um, all pushed together as one word. For example, youtube.com slash Jack Hodgson, twitter.com slash Jack Hodgson, patreon.com slash Jack Hodgson. And uh, on Amazon, you can search for my ebooks. Just search for Around the Field in the books section of, of Amazon. And sign up for my email newsletter. You can do that over at jackhodgson.com. You can also find more stuff about me than you ever really wanted to know. Hey, David, was there something you wanted to tell us? Uh, best best tip I can give you for a long and happy life is get some air time because, you know, time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. Shazam. Shazam. <laughs>